Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. We will have Anthony Kastrovitz of MLB.com coming up in a minute. But first, with the NBA playoffs just around the corner, we are lining up some good stuff for the next couple months, and we want you on board. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe to The Nail on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. If you're at work and you like streaming podcasts on your desktop, the best place to do that for our show is at WaitingForNextYear.com. Speaking of WFNY, they've got a ton of great Indians coverage out this week to get you ready for the MLB season. So after you get done listening to us, do yourself a solid and go check that out. Waitingfornextyear.com. And finally, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And be sure you're also following us on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. We're really working to build the show. So if you can tell your friends about us, share our episodes on Facebook and Twitter, and really just help get the word out there, it would really help us out. And we'd appreciate it. All right, with that bit of business out of the way, let's roll. The nail in the coffin! I'm Tom. He's Travis. We're recording on Tuesday. Trav, how are you, buddy? Doing well, Tino. How about you, buddy? Can't say uh, I'm doing too bad. Uh, just kind of uh, getting ready to shift gears here, uh, get into uh, baseball mode. Believe it or not, uh, actual major league games are going to be played this week. Looking out my window here, it's uh, 40 degrees and raining, but uh, thankfully the Indians. Day. Yeah, I couldn't ask for anything better. Thankfully, the Indians are going to be opening up out on the uh, the west coast in seattle on thursday night so uh to help us get ready for the new season we have anthony castrovins uh, national columnist for mlb.com and a frequent contributor on the mlb network anthony it's been a long time man thanks for joining us how are you it's been a very long time tino thanks for having me on dude it's uh i thought we were just here to share stories about the athens messenger and the and the news herald and, and things of that nature but i guess we can talk a little <laughs> baseball too yeah, you know, uh, normally at this time of the year we might be making uh, preparations for Palmer Fest, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately those days are long, long since gone. passed. Onto uh, bigger and better stuff, and uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Indians. Uh, kind of an interesting off season. Uh, lost a whole lot of guys: Carlos Santana, Jay Bruce, Austin Jackson, Brian Shaw, Joe Smith, uh, even Boone Logan and uh, the immortal Craig Breslow. Um, <laughs> If, uh, if if for the uh, the tribe fans listening uh, on on the panic meter, where should we be with uh, that much talent going out the door? Well, certainly pretty high on the Boone Logan and Craig Breslow front, but uh, thankfully uh, they still got Tyler Olson, I guess, who yet to give up a run, so that helps. But no, I mean, just speaking generally, it's I don't think this is the panic meter so much as you just wonder about the next line of reserve should things start to go awry on the injury front. I think they're a little more fragile this year than last. Um, I think that's fair to say, especially in the bullpen. You know, I, that's clear to say in the bullpen with the loss of Brian Shaw and Joe Smith. And, and they got some good arms who can give them some good innings back there. Nick Goody had a really underrated year last year. And um, I just mentioned Tyler Olson. Um, he, he was quite a revelation, came up from their system from the left-hand side. And, um, you know, Zach McAllister, Dan Otero, these guys have pretty good numbers over the last couple of years. So they have bodies, but... Um, you know, if something were to happen to, and you could say this last year, but if something were to happen to Andrew Miller, for instance, there's really no accounting for that. Last year, they would have been a little better position for that. 
um, just with the innings that, that Brian Shaw can accumulate. And they went out and got Joe Smith midseason. They might have to do something else midseason this year. I, I think they're kind of going into the year with the mindset of let's just see. Let, let's let the season tell us what our flaws are as opposed to proactively going out and acquiring people. Um, obviously, they had to fill first base. They did that with Yonder Alonso. And, uh, but other than that, you know, it was a really quiet winter. And I, I think they have the luxury of a, a not-so-deep division, to say the least, um, to, to kind of let 2018 dictate, okay, what direction do we have to take midseason uh, as, far, as far as plugging holes and, and plugging gaps and that sort of thing. So, so we'll see what happens. So you mentioned the division there. And that right now the Indians are, I think, the number two favorite in Vegas for winning the World Series and all that, and for, like 13 or 14%, I think was what it was at, which seems really high. But that's yeah. more just a virtue of the fact that they're essentially guaranteed to not have to play in that play-in game. Um, which obviously can be, you know, could go either way. And that's, I think, probably the biggest thing. How far, assuming that you think they are not necessarily on the same level as the Astros and the Yankees and the Red Sox, how far off do you think they are? Well, I I don't make that assumption. I mean, this is a 102-win team last year. And granted, yeah, they they lost some pieces and they didn't have the dynamic winner that you had um, with with all those three teams you just mentioned, the the Astros acquiring Garrett Cole to what was already a really good rotation and, Obviously, with the Yankees adding Giancarlo Stanton and, and really deepening their bench, and, um, and and the Red Sox getting J.D. Martinez, but it's easy to get swept up in those narratives and, and forget, you know, the quality that's already there. Um, but yeah, I mean, one one factor the Indians have that that those teams don't have is is a more winnable division picture. And I say that because you do have to be careful. I mean, the Twins could certainly be a surprise team again this year, uh, taking another leap forward. You know, they made a major leap from north of 100 losses to a wild card berth last year, and you know, they made some interesting maneuvers in the last couple months, um, some cost-efficient and, and, and perhaps effective moves uh, to really support that club and, and help it take the next step. But I do think it would probably take a lot of help on the Indians' part, uh, you know, from an injury standpoint, from a performance regression standpoint. And maybe that happens because baseball will will sneak up on you that way the minute you start to make assumptions about these sort of things. But there's no doubt about it that they're in a good position to to pad their win total, you know, w- within the AL Central and um, and yeah, they're they're in a very clear spot to to get back to October as a division winner. Um, and then it's just a matter of you know who's hot at the right time and you know, how, how deep is the bullpen running at that point? I know last year going in the division series, there was a lot of concern about that matchup with the Yankees just because the Yankees bullpen was an absolute force. And, um, that, and some other factors that came up during that series, primarily, you know, Corey Kluber's back issue, um, you know, led to what you saw and, and then, you know, give it up a two Oh lead in that series. So anything can happen in October, but, um, you know, if this team survives this season healthy, it certainly has the goods to advance deep into October again, just because, you know, the pitching's really good. Um, the offense could be opportunistic and, and it should be a club that's it's obviously got every incentive and, and every bit of hunger in the world to, uh, you know, go, go deeper than it did last year and, and to get the win that eluded it in, in 2016. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you kind of mentioned a couple times, um, you know, health and whatnot. I mean, the Indians have got some guys that, um, can be really productive, but have also been uh, dinged up off and on over the last couple yeah. of years. I mean, Michael Brantley, I think, is the first one that comes to mind. Jason Kipnis has battled some injuries. Lonnie Chisholm. Um, are, are the Indians kind of rolling the dice there a little bit with putting a, a, too much on some of those guys, uh, knowing what we've known over the last few years? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, that's that's definitely fair. So and, and the winner was interesting the way it played out. And I wonder if, you know, the old hindsight 2020 kind of thing where, you know, maybe they would have made different choices had uh, and nobody in baseball knew this winner would play out exactly as it did uh, with the free agent market being so slow to evolve on, on the position player front on the starting pitcher front. It was pretty normal offseason if you were a, a high quality reliever. But for everybody else, you know, it was a, a dogfight to, to get, um, you know, a proper contract. And Carlos Santana did extremely well in those conditions, getting three years and 60. Um, but the Indians had to make the decision on, on Michael Brantley's option, you know, several days after the World Series. And um, and at the time, it, it's it, as much as fans had their angst about it, because the guys only played, I think, 101 games over the last two years. And you're saying, well, you know, that's 12 million dollars you're committing to a guy who you don't know if he's going to be on the field, you know, coming off the ankle surgery, but um, it, it felt like fair value in that moment, um, given some, you know, some recent past contracts we had seen in the industry and, and for a player of his, of his ilk and, and that sort of thing, a one-year deal, there's no such thing as a, a bad one-year deal. Um, but then the winner played out the way it did. And now you wonder like, you know, what kind of contract would Michael Brantley have gotten in this market? Probably multi-years, but would $12 million been the average annual value? Maybe there's a better deal to be had there from the perspective of the Indians. It's, it's hard to say. Even the Yonder Alonso signing, when they when they made that, um, you know, you, guys like Logan Morrison and uh, um, Lucas Duda, you know, they, they, they got they got less than Yonder Alonso did when all was said and done. So he did pretty well as well. So you never know how those things are going to play out, but they're, they're definitely taking some injury risk into the season, especially in the outfield. Um, you know, with Brantley, Zimmer, Chisenhall, all those guys were banged up, you know, late last year, um, all coming off those injuries. Now you're Brandon Geyer is, is now the, they needed a, a right-handed bat for, for balance out there. And, and he's that guy he's coming off a, a wrist injury of his own surgery of his own. So, so it's going to be a, a hodgepodge out there as, as kind of has been the norm <laughs> the last couple of years, their outfield has been a, a rotating cast quite a bit. Uh, the last couple of years and Rajay Davis is back in the fold, of course, this year. But um, but it's going to be a moving target and it could be an area where, you know, you, you see some things happen midseason. Maybe it's a trade. Um, maybe, quite frankly, maybe it's Francisco Mejia, their top prospect, who's a catching prospect. But, um, you know, a, a guy who a lot of people think is ready with the bat right now. Um, he's going to see some time in the outfield at AAA, and I, I don't put it past him to perhaps assert himself at, at some point this season. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the way the baseball season is for everybody. There, there's always things that, that that kind of develop over time, but it's it's a pretty clear case this year for the Indians where you look at the outfield and say, well, I, I would not be surprised if a few months from now it's it's sort of a different cast of characters, you know. You mentioned Brandon Geyer there. I think he's been hit by three more pitches in the time since we started <laughs> recording. Yeah. Um, but you'd also said, you know, it's just kind of a weird offseason all around uh, Major League Baseball. You know, I know the Major League Baseball free agent market generally moves a little bit more slowly than the, the NBA, where you get that avalanche of player movement in the first week of July. Um, right. But even by baseball standards, um, it, you know, it really did seem slow, um, especially once you got to those second and third tier players. You know, and there's some, you know, name value guys who still are unsigned as we get to opening day here. Do you have any theories as to what's going on and, and why it took so long to, to get some guys uh, signed to deals? Well, it's a bunch of stuff all at once. I mean, you start first and foremost that it, it wasn't that devastating a free agent class to begin with. But obviously, even under that circumstance, you know, in, in past years, this group, you would have seen quicker movement for for the likes of Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis and 
you know, Jake Arrieta and what have you. So um, really there's a shift in baseball in general towards younger talent and, um, you know, teams being bit so often by the, the bad contracts to guys north of 30. They're just more content to I think there's there's better ways now to evaluate players and to really put, a, you know, to stamp a value on on their production that they bring. And there's always going to be that element of, well, what is it worth a guy like a Mike Napoli, for instance, who is so popular here in Cleveland and um, so good in that clubhouse? You know, that'll always be difficult to, you know, ascertain a value of that, of what a guy like that brings. But as far as what guys bring on the field, it's, it's pretty easy nowadays to, to stamp a value on it. And many times they're, they're content to go with the guy who's in his pre-arbitration years, you know, his first three years of his career uh, on the cheap uh, because the level of production is in many times similar to what you might get from a guy north of 30 and, and in many cases better because there's higher upside, you know. So that's kind of been a shift. Um, there were some things that happened in the last in the last collective bargaining agreement that were very much not on the players' side. Um, you know, agents weren't uh, especially involved in that negotiation process, and, and much to their frustration, I'm sure. Um, and and when it came out, there was uh, a lot of people on that in that element of the game on the agent side who were saying that, well, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad for free agency because what happened is. They didn't um, significantly raise the uh, luxury tax thresholds over the course of that CBA. And so when you do that, it's kind of this artificial ceiling, so to speak. Um, And then there's no floor, you know. So you got a lot of teams that are trying to follow this rebuild model that works so well for the Cubs and for the Astros. Um, You got several teams trying to do that, you know, punting on multiple seasons at a time, collecting draft picks, saving cash and uh, building from within, which is probably the smart way to do it, quite frankly. So when you have a ceiling that's kind of taming down spending of, of the Yankees and the Dodgers and teams of that ilk, and then you have uh, no floor, that's, that's, you got teams like the Marlins that are just stripping things down, you, know, you can have a formula for, for this kind of free agent market where there's just not much money spent. Well, the Marlins, I believe, uh, told Marlins man to go pack and uh, hit the road. So their their off season was not an entire disaster. <laughs> yeah, the Stanton oh. thing infuriated me, but then they ditched Marlins, man. So I guess it's kind of a push. It all evened out. Yeah, yeah. it's a <laughs> cosmic uh, evening of the scales there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned or like how Hosmer and Martinez kind of hung around for quite a while. It seemed like the Martinez with the Red Sox thing took forever yeah. to get done, even though everyone thought it was going to happen and then it wasn't going to happen. Um, Majority of people listening to this are going to be wondering, will the Indians ever be one of the teams that's involved with that? Because you look at where they're at, and they seem like one of those teams who's in a really good place, and maybe they are just, you know, one guy away. Um, is it is it just sort of a organizational philosophy that they're not going to be one of those teams that throws several years over $100 million at guys? Well, it's it's a philosophy, a philosophy just from the standpoint of when you don't have the revenues to do that sort of thing, you can't do it, you know, and, and they they've picked their spots. And I, I do give this ownership credit because there have been a, a couple moments where they've had the the opportunities has come their way. I mean, think back. This didn't go particularly well. But, you know, when they when they negotiated a new uh, rights contract with, with Fox Sports Ohio here, you know, before the 2013 season, you know, that was an influx of cash that to their credit, they put to use immediately. And they went out and, you know, the, the draft pick compensation structure at that time kind of worked in their favor. And they were able to go out and, and sign Nick Swisher and, and Michael Bourne. And those guys were probably two of the top five position players in that particular market. 
um, we know that it blew up in their face. You know, that that sort of thing happens sometimes when you try to build your team in free agency. So if you don't have that backbone from within and this organization deserves a lot, deserves a lot of credit because when have the Indians had like a major like what we're seeing in Miami, like we we're just talking about. When have they done that in the recent past? It just hasn't happened where they just totally blow it up um, and, and totally strip it down to the studs and, and do that for a prolonged period. I'm talking about a three, four five year period that it sometimes takes to, to build a major league club. This has been a team that's, you know, consistently had that that next wave of talent coming up, be it, you know, guys they traded for or guys they drafted, what have you. Um, it, it's been a pretty for a small market smaller market club it's been a pretty strong organizational pipeline in, in the recent past so um so yeah there's that and then you know the encarnacion signing before um you know before the 2017 season was obviously you know investing in a moment where they were one win away from winning the world series in 2016 and, and really feeling that energy and they had a, a deep deep run uh in october that that padded the revenues a little bit and and there was a player whose market was, was really a special circumstance. And, and now we see maybe it was uh, kind of indicative of where free agency was trending anyway. But, um, you know, his price tag came down substantially. The number of years attached to him came down substantially. And suddenly he's in their wheelhouse. And, you know, when they signed Encarnacion, everybody in the industry is saying, oh, what a great value for the Indians. But from the Indians' perspective, it was still a huge risk just because of, you know, how that aligned with their player payroll and, and that sort of thing. It, it was still extending themselves quite a bit so i I warned people at that time like (laughs) don't get used to this 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 feels like a one-shot kind of deal and i I think this this free agent market probably you know bared that out a little bit but um so you you try to make you have again you can't stress it enough how important is that the the cost effective in-house solutions and when you got a guy like jose ramirez who comes up and out of nowhere becomes a an mvp finalist and, and he signs an extension on the cheap you know, a club friendly extension that those are the kind of things you need to happen. You know, Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Trevor Bauer, all these guys are locked up on very affordable terms. And Lindor is still four years away from free agency. So they got this nice group of, you know, cost controlled assets that that help them, you know, put together a, a competitive product year after year. I, I do think next year will be more of a challenge just because of what's going to transpire in the bullpen uh, at the end of this year with Cody Allen, and Andrew Miller, both entering free agency. But but again, I mean. One thing you have to appreciate is that we haven't had that that situation in Cleveland where you're looking ahead for the next three, four, five seasons and just knowing this this team has absolutely no chance for the you know the length of that window. All right, so I have a two part question here. Um, the one notable signing I think for the Indians in the offseason, Yonder Alonso. What can you tell us about him and what we mm-hmm. can expect? What, what should we expect out of him this year? And then, you know, the other kind of running theme that you've had here is the importance of having those young guys coming up through your system. You, know, you yeah. mentioned Mejia. Um, Greg Allen was another guy that I think turned some heads during spring training. Bobby Bradley was a guy who had a, yeah. a, a notable spring. Um, are those three guys um, in particular or anybody else can we expect to be uh, coming up uh, from the from the farm system and making a significant significant contribution this year? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with your second question. I mean, he is the obvious one, of course, and and it's just a matter of you know where is the positional fit going to be. Obviously, there's um, barring injury, which uh, you know Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes had injuries in the not too distant past, and he never rolled out for for something to happen behind the plate. It's just such a demanding position. So maybe something opens up for him there at some point this year. If not, I, I do see the outfield as a, a clear area of opportunity for him. 
Um, you know, don't forget about Yandy Diaz, who was one of the, you know, we have all these things we can measure now and, and, you know, his hard hit ball percentage last year was right along, along the lines of John Carlos Stanton. The problem for Yandy Diaz was, you know, Stanton's hard hit balls were going 500 feet, you know, into the seats and Yandy Diaz's were ground balls to second base. So, um, you know, there, there's always some thought that if he can elevate a little more consistently or a lot more consistently, you know, they, they might have a special offensive talent there. We'll see. Um, but he's a guy who, again, that much like Mejia, you know, where's the positional fit? You know, he's playing third base and obviously Jose Ramirez is pretty good and not going anywhere unless Jason Kipnis goes somewhere. So there, there's always that question. But, um, yeah, you mentioned Bradley that that would take some injury at, at first base. Uh, but there's a guy who dropped, I think, like 30 pounds this offseason and, you know, came to camp and looked great. And they were really impressed with that. So that's a nice depth option if, if something were to happen there, um, you know. Their, their system right now, it's kind of interesting to me because the Indians have, it seems like their best areas of depth are, are places where they don't need the depth. And it seems like the places where, you know, they could use the depth, uh, you know, starting pitching, bullpen. Uh, they have six or seven viable starters at the big league level if everybody's healthy. Obviously, Danny Salazar is not right now, but um, but the next wave beyond that is is really troublesome. You know, Cody Anderson is rehabbing from Tommy John. He might be their their next best option when healthy midseason. Um, but really, it's pretty thin pickings there and in the bullpen. Um, they got some power bats at the upper levels of their system. They, they have a strong enough system to, to go out and make a trade, um, you know, at some point this season. And um, they got guys like uh, Yu Cheng Chang, who's, who's probably, you know, under normal circumstances would be nearing big league readiness at shortstop. But of course, they have a pretty good shortstop. So when you have depth and, and you have depth in areas where you don't need it and, and don't have it in, in places where you do need it, sometimes that's a formula for a trade, you know, um, just, just find an organization where, you know, where those assets are needed. But because, uh, yeah, they're, they're a little thin on the pitching side in general right now. Their top pitching prospect is a guy named Tristan McKenzie, who's, um, if you see him, he, he's about as skinny as a foul pole and, but he, he throws, he's got amazing stuff, but he's on a lower level. So he's not a guy who's going to help them this year. Um, so yeah, that's, that's from the prospect perspective. And then as far as Alonzo goes, I wish I could tell you, yes, me, like, you know, tell me about him. What do you expect from him? I have no idea what to expect. Quite frankly, there's a guy who, you know, kind of playing off that Yandy Diaz conversation about elevation. That's been a big subject in baseball the last couple of years is, is guys really taking a more, um, you know, conscientious approach to, to getting the ball in the air. And Yonder Alonso did that last year. And for some guys, it worked and changed their careers. For some guys, it didn't. For him, it worked. He became an all-star last year. Um, but it was all very heavily weighted towards the first half. You know, he had like an OPS north of 900 in the first half. I think it was, uh, you know, about 750 or something in the second half. So if he's the second half Yonder Alonso, that's still a productive player. You know, he could be a league average type player. If he's the first half Yonder Alonso, they just lengthen their lineup considerably. I don't think anybody really knows what to expect when a player makes it was something they really weighed and, and, and you know, tossed and turned over this winter was when a player makes a, a major change like that, um, you know, not terribly late in his career, but late enough that, you know, he was, he was kind of a, a late breakout, you know, late to have a career year. Um, you know, how sustainable is that? So we'll see that the season will tell us. All right. You've mentioned Mejia a couple of times now. Um, how how far off it seems like he's everybody seems to be, agree that he's there offensively as a hitter he's ready to be uh, at the next level how far off is he defensively or is it more just that they're so comfortable with uh, where Perez and Gomes are defensively that they don't 
want to throw them in there? What what's I guess what's the biggest thing there? Well, for a team that is as heavily weighted towards its starting pitching as the Indians are, with, with what is a, a legitimately great starting staff, you know that relationship between pitcher and catcher is is most prominent in importance over anything you get offensively behind the plate. It just is, um, and, and those guys deliver, man. They 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 control the running game so well. Um, they have such a comfort level with the starters and that should take precedence. You know, I, I know fans get frustrated when, when those guys aren't hitting and understandably so, but it's also understandable why the Indians would, would weigh the defensive end. And, and, you know, you occasionally get some moments. I mean, Roberto Perez seems to hit, seems like the only times he hits home runs are in big moments for whatever reason. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's really not, it's really not something they're focused on. Their their offensive numbers are whatever at this point. It's 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 what they bring to the table defensively. So on in a different circumstance with a team that you know wasn't as short up behind the plate, Francisco Mejia might be in the big leagues right now, or at least you know a couple of weeks from now they might play the, the service time game with him. But um, I, there's certainly strides he can make defensively. I think that's true of any young catcher. Um, it is a difficult thing, especially. You know, when there's a language gap, you know, that, that's something that uh, he's been working towards is, is you know, communication with pitchers. And, um, you know, th- there's cutting down on past balls, things like that. These are all things he could iron out. But as I said, the game is really accelerating the developmental paths of players, catchers included. So it wouldn't, you know, under normal circumstances, he might be in the big leagues right now. And, and these circumstances and a win now team, you know, he's kind of stashed away. And, and as you said, yeah, the bat is probably ready at this point. Um and I'll be really curious to see how they how they align the playing time, you know, how much behind the plate, how much in the outfield. Um, he saw some time at third base late last year. It didn't go. It wasn't like a tremendous experiment defensively at third base. Maybe you can make it work with with more sustained reps there. But it sounds like, uh, you know, the outfield is more where it's at for him at the early part of this season. But um, the bat is special just because. You know, switch hitter. This is a team that that's had great balance in its lineup in recent years and. And he would contribute to that, especially with the loss of, of Carlos Santana. You know, that that was a really professional quality at bat night after night from both sides of the plate that you're you're losing now, you know, in free agency. So uh, and I'm not saying Mejia comes up and is, you know, Carlos Santana right away. But, you know, that balance is important and, um, you know, it doesn't strike out a lot. And so he, he's the, the power is kind of progressing as, as he progresses in his career, which is, you know, pretty normal, uh, you know, at that age. So. So he could be a special bat. Um, again, it's just a matter of where and when do you fit him in. All right, Francisco Lindor, somebody uh, who we've not talked about a whole lot on uh, this uh, this pod, but um, obviously one of the faces of the franchise. And uh, as you had said, he's got four years to go on his contract. I know there had been some talk about trying to get an extension done. That has not happened to this point. Are those conversations off the table for the rest of this season once uh, once the games begin? Yeah, I didn't get a sense that there was anything brewing this this time around. You know, last spring that was a topic, and the Indians came at him with a, a nine-figure offer, you know, north of $100 million offer, and it was a non-starter, quite frankly. And you understand it because it's a different thing for a guy like Francisco Lindor um, than the average free agent. So, I mean, you look at, like, Eric Hosmer, for instance, was uh, – you know, a free agent at 28 this winter. And he did very well for himself in the end, uh, but he didn't get the $200 million contract he was looking for. Um, he still got the eight year deal with the Padres, but he was not a first baseman in a deep first base market and a guy coming off a career year offensively, but he's never been a major offensive threat. It was just, it was kind of iffy his value 
and it was very limited market for him. Well, you know, Francisco Lindor as a, a shortstop who suddenly slugged 500 last year, you know, hit 33 home runs. Um, you know, that's a pretty special player. He was a pretty special player before that offensive, you know, power breakout last year. We all know that. We all saw that. So special defender, special person. Um, he'll be a free agent. Uh, I'm not sure the exact age. I want to say he might be 27, 28 when he's a free agent. I think he could do pretty well for himself, all things considered, even in, um, you know, even in this changed landscape that we live in, that's a pretty special player. Him and Carlos Correa both fit that mold. They'll both be free agents at the same time. They both turned down um, the opportunity to, to sign major extensions last year. Um, it, it doesn't mean it won't happen anytime in the next four years. You know, maybe at, at some point there that, that conversation gains some steam and, and they find common ground. But right now it's just so hard to find common ground. He's so far from free agency. He's still so much ahead of him. So much is going to change in the major league marketplace between now and then. You know, he might have an MVP year in him between now and then. His, his value could change dramatically. And he wasn't in a position where, you know, so often these young guys sign these contract extensions because it's how do you turn it down? It's guaranteed money at a, at a point where you're just trying to establish yourself. And in many cases, there was a guy uh, with the Phillies the other day, Scott Kingery, just signed, uh, I want to say it was 24 or $26 million six-year deal that basically – you know, takes up the first six years of his major league career. The guy's yet to set foot in the big leagues. You know, he's yet to play a game in the big leagues. Um, how do you pass down that that guaranteed payday? It, it's it's hard to do. But Francisco Lindor is the face of New Balance baseball. You know, he's got a pretty sizable contract from that. We don't know the exact terms, but I, I can imagine it's a pretty penny. Um, he had first round signing bonus money, so he's doing all right for himself. He can take the gamble on himself. All right. So if there's specifically with Ramirez because I feel like like you mentioned earlier he kind of came out of nowhere and I don't know that anybody expected him to be as good as he is and mm. his contract kind of speaks to that are are we comfortable thinking that he will continue to be that that good like I don't know what he finished in MVP voting last year third I think yeah. um are we comfortable thinking he'll continue to be that good or will there be a little bit of regression I, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't imagine some regression from last year, but I probably said that a year ago as well. <laughs> His <Right>. numbers <laughs> improved dramatically, which I, I give the guy a lot of credit because it was really easy to not poo-poo his 2016 season, but just say, okay, well, that was cool, but yeah, it probably won't ever be that good again. And he had, uh, I'm looking it up now, he had an 825 OPS in 2016. He was 14% better than league average. And then he jumps to a 957 OPS, 45% better than league average. Um, that's going to be, that, that's going to be tough to top. It's going to be tough to repeat all of that. Um, but he was an extra base machine last year and, you know, he, he's got that chip on his shoulder that, that seems to serve him so well. Um, he's just a fun player, you know, he's just a fun player to watch him and Lindor are so special together. Um, and you know, very different paths, you know, Ramirez was always Lindor's backup. That's what he was always viewed as. And uh, then Ramirez got the first big leg opportunity and, and really struggled with it um, and eventually ceded the, the shortstop role to Lindor. But, um, you know, it, it's been it's been dramatic to, to see Jose Ramirez turn himself into the player he's become. And, um, you know, the spark plug he is, the consistent player he is. That's that's the thing is like even if there's regression from 2017 or 2016, for that matter, um, maybe that's only natural. But it, it's not a guy it's not a profile at the plate that lends itself to dramatic slumps. You know, um, he, he might just steadily churn along and, and maybe it's a, a season a little North of league average, but 
you know, it, it's hard for me to imagine him totally cratering just because he is so good. He's so quick to the ball and, and has such good plate coverage and all that. Um, kind of reminds me of peak level Carlos Baerga and in, in from the, you know, the, the look, the stocky frame and, um, you know, not striking out. And it, it, it kind of feels like that a little bit. Um, now, granted, I, I wish him a, a better <laughs> overall career than Carlos Baerga and, you know, hopefully he doesn't have the, the dramatic fall off that Bayerga did. But, um, but yeah, it, it seems like a, a pretty special, consistent player who, while probably short of, of being an MVP finalist again, I, I, I do think there's, you know, there's a lot of quality uh, stretches in his future. Well, Trev, um, you know, if we're still doing this from uh, 20 years from now, who knows, maybe we'll be talking to Jose Ramirez in a, a <laughs> suite the over at Classic Park. Exactly. <laughs> Friend of show, Carlos Bayerga. That's right. He's a, friend, he's a friend of every show. Yeah, he's he's a friend of everybody. It's it's hard to uh, you, you, you can't look you can't uh, walk around the city without running into Carlos Barrera somewhere. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so we know how the the, the trade deadline goes. Kind of just projecting ahead a little bit uh, into the season, and I know it's probably way way too early to be asking this kind of a question, but you know you see some of these other teams that maybe you're not expecting to contend this year and they might sign a guy uh, to a one-year deal with the intention of, you know, that being a player that they could flip at the deadline um, and, you know, kind of stock up on some prospects that way, which I think is kind of an interesting way to go about trying to build your team if you're trying to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Um, But between those guys and, um, you know, maybe some other guys that are just on expiring deals and um, who, if you're an Indians fan, um, and you're just trying to keep an eye on um, the rest of the league. Uh, who are you kind of keeping an eye on as potential trade targets down the line? Oh man, you're getting yeah, you're you're jumping uh, ahead of me. That's <laughs> I don't know when we're gonna have you again. I got I got to uh, empty the chamber here while we uh, while we got you. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I mean, the outfield is is you know an obvious target, um, and you know a guy who kind of jumps to mind, quite frankly, and, and maybe it's just because the injury is to Madison Bumgarner is so fresh in my mind, but boy, you could, you could totally see the giants falling out of it. Right. Um, in a hurry. And it was a team that was just terrible last year, surprisingly terrible, um, had a, a chance for a lot of bounce backs. And then, you know, went after some, some major trade bait in the off season. And then all of a sudden their, their best starter gets hit in the hand and, and he's out for, you know, a couple months. So the reason I bring that up is Andrew McCutcheon in their outfield as a pending mm. free agent. You know, that's, that could be a really interesting name. I, I, I've always thought he was an interesting name for the Indians. I think he'd fit their culture. I think he'd um, certainly fit their lineup really well right now with, with his profile, you know. So um, so I'll throw that one out there. Uh, and there's other guy. I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer is uh, a guy who's uh, – now he's signed uh, a little more long-term, but the Rays just, you know, being in flux right now. He's more on the defensive end. You know, that's where he's special. But um, – but yeah, just think about other. I'm trying to think of other pending free agents, but you know, most of the guys who are coming to mind are are on teams that I view as contending clubs, or you know, should be contending clubs. But the Giants strike me as a team that, you know, could certainly be punting midseason, um, given their dynamic. All right, um, we've mentioned the Twins a couple of times. Uh, you know, they were pretty active uh, in free agency. Got the Logan Morrison, a couple of pitchers. Um, Probably uh, the most likely team, if anybody's going to challenge the Indians in the Central, it's going to be them. Anybody else in the Central you could see making any kind of noise this year? 
Um, you know, the White Sox will just be interesting. I don't think I don't know how much noise they'll make in terms of wins and losses, but they're they're just increasingly interesting as they have a deep farm system and these guys are starting to graduate to the big league level. I don't think there'll be enough of those guys graduating, and I don't think the graduation rate will be positive enough that you know suddenly they're in contention. But you know, you get a guy like Michael Kopech coming out and throwing 101 you know, <laughs> or whatever it is, um, you know, he makes their rotation a lot more interesting. And um, Eloy Jimenez will probably see him before the end of the year. He's a really dynamic outfielder. So um, so they're starting to look like something, you know, Yoan Mancada, his first full season, you know, he could be a special player. Um, so they, they might be a, a, a tougher out than, than people think. Um, you know, the Royals, I don't really, it's hard for me to take them overly seriously just because they have some extreme question marks on the pitching side. Um, they, they do have some interesting offensive players, but overall it's just, it's hard to see them making another run. Um, and, and the Tigers are just terrible. I mean, they, they look absolutely (laughs) terrible. Their, their, their rotation is a mess. So, um, I would be absolutely shocked if they are, you know, if they lose less than 95 games, I'd be really surprised. So, um, yeah, I mean, the twins are where it's at and that's why, that's why we say it. I mean, the Indians have a great opportunity here again. In 27 in 20 whatever year it is 2018 to run away with this division but um I, I do think the twins could could keep them honest i really do believe that because the twins I, what we saw from them in the second half last year was real offensively they were the most productive offense in the american league in the second half they did it without one of their best hitters and miguel sano um you know he was hurt for the, most of that stretch um they did what they could with the pitching staff it's still not great but it's you know it, it lines up better on paper than it did last year so um, so yeah, they'll keep them honest. I really do believe that. Not going to lie. After all the years that Detroit tortured us, uh, <laughs> hearing that they could be losing 95 or more games this year just absolutely warms my heart. So thank you for doing that. No um, <laughs> Trav, you got you any could... more questions? No, I think I'm good. Um, I guess I'll, I'll throw out like the, the general like radio hack question. Like what's oh, like your go. bold prediction for the season? Just give me something fun to think about. Oh man. Um, well, I guess I'll just play off what I said a minute ago. How about, yeah, they'll trade for Andrew McCutcheon. I'll just go with that. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I could see, actually, I could see them having to trade for a starter, too. I don't know who that would be. Um, but I, I could certainly see that developing just because this team used the fewest starters in baseball last season. The Indians did seven starters. And I know Corey Kluber was banged up early in the year, but they were really fortunate from a health standpoint. Their starters actually gave them a higher percentage of innings than any starting staff in baseball. Um, so a higher percentage of their total innings pitch. So, um, so they might be due for some luck regression in that front, quite frankly. And, and as I said earlier, I don't know, you know, what the, the quality of depth is when you get past Salazar, if he's even, you know, if he's even able to take the ball every fifth day this year, who knows? So, um, so maybe maybe that's where a trade comes as well. Crazy to think about, you know, the Indians have starters logging that many innings last year, and then you get to the postseason, and the script just completely flips. Where if you get five innings out of a starter in a yeah. postseason game, it's great, and right. it's just such a one eighty. But uh, hopefully, that's a conversation we're having again uh, this coming Absolutely. October. Yeah. Or- all right. Well, Anthony, this is uh, this has been great stuff, man. I uh, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you uh, working on anything for uh, MLB.com uh, or have you put anything out recently that uh, we should have everybody go check out? Always, always working. Uh, 
Yeah, we're just doing. Uh, actually, this year we're, we're starting a, a podcast uh, ourselves, the Morning Lineup Podcast. If people want to check that out, so that should be pretty fun. A few days a week, uh, myself and Richard Justice doing that. Um, so that that's a main uh, area of emphasis as we start the year here, and just the usual uh, fun and games on the column front as well. All right, you can uh, follow Anthony on Twitter at Castrovince. And uh, probably be seeing him uh, on uh, MLB Network as well again this year, right? Absolutely. I'll be there. Good stuff. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, again, as a reminder, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast and on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. Like us, follow us, share our posts, help us get the word out. Our thanks again to Anthony Kastrovitz of MLB.com for joining us. For Travis Shuley, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!